0: Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> We had just come off the stage at the University of Oklahoma performing what was one of the best performances we had ever done of Haydn's Kyrie Eleison. The year was 1975. I was a junior at Putnam City High in Oklahoma City. And we were up against our arch rival, the Northwest Classen Chryslers for the state championship. Walking off that stage, all that we could do was hope for the best. We had done our work. Actually, we had worked hard the previous three months getting ready for that moment. Our teacher, Mrs. Fern Friedlander, was meticulous in putting us through the paces and helping us know what it took to get a one, not a two, not a three, but a one at the state level, and we had to deal with a lot of shouting from our teacher. No, it was not a mezzo forte; it was a pianissimo. Basses, basses, you were slow on that pickup. Altos, hold those sustained notes; give them some life. Sopranos, you were flat in that opening measure. Tenors, you were sharp. Pay attention. We had some very gifted singers that year in 1975, and we were we knew that it was time to really take advantage of it and really go after state. So that day in April in 1975 at OU, we followed some very fine schools, including Nathan Hale High School here in Tulsa, and Memorial High School as well. We went outside... In our tuxedo outfits with orange fluffy shirts. That was. I don't like telling you about that, but. But we waited, hoping beyond hope that we had beaten Northwest Classic. They had gone before us. And what did they score? A one, of course. They always scored a one. They were taught by this perfection superman by the name of Mr. Knight. No other schools had scored a one that day. And finally, our score was tabulated. It was a one. So now, the judges had to go and figure out which group, which school, had done better, uh, had gotten closer to perfection uh, than the other. We held our breath. We fidgeted. We ate Twinkies. Anything to relieve the stress of the weight, finally, finally, a woman walked across the stage to announce that Putnam City had won, would receive the 1975 trophy. It was a great moment. So you can say, Hope springs eternal. I have had many hopeful moments in my own life. All of us do. Hoping our team wins, hoping we get a bonus this year or at least a tax refund, hoping for our baby to be born healthy, hoping it doesn't rain on an outdoor event. We hope all the time. But today, I want to talk about hope in another way, because that's what our text is talking about. The phrase that I'm focusing on this morning is one that lies at the heart of our calling as Christians. The writer of this letter simply says to the early followers of Jesus, always be ready to make your defense of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Well, there are many important qualities of the Christian life, qualities like love, and joy, and peace, and perseverance. But in many respects, the quality of hope is foundational to them all. Without hope, there is no such thing as joy. Without hope, there's no such thing as peace. Without hope, there is no such thing as perseverance. And without hope, there is no such thing as love. Even though Paul once said, so faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul also said we are saved by hope. In his letter to the Romans, we are saved by that one thing necessary for living a full and productive life as a human being. The presence of hope at the center of who one is. If a person can hope, he can experience meaning at the center of his life. If a person can hope, he can bounce back from the blows of life and start living once again. And if a person can hope, he can believe in the goodness of life and especially in his own goodness as well. And so we are saved by hope, as Paul put it. We are made whole and complete and full by the presence of this element in our lives. Phyllis Harrison Ross, a professor of clinical psychiatry, once was asked, what is the most important thing in raising happy children? And she said, about 75% of the battle is picking the right parents. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy or famous or even happy yourselves. I've seen unhappy parents with severe physical handicaps able to raise happy children. They could say to them, look, I'm unhappy about this condition, but that doesn't mean that you've got to live like me. It's all ahead for you. And then Dr. Ross said, the single most important quality in parents is optimism about the future. If parents are futility prone, nothing will ever fall into place for their children. And so it is with all of us, isn't it? Hope stands at the center of everything that is significant about human life. And without hope, we are left with little to guide us. And so we read our text this morning that says, Be ready to make your defense of the hope that's in you this world we experience is not the only world that there is. This stage of human development is, is in which we find ourselves is not the final stage that we'll ever be. And this life as it is lived right now is not the end of life or the fulfillment of life for any one of us at all. Something better is in store for all of us. As individuals as couples, as families, as a whole civilization of people than anything we have ever known before. And we are called to defend that hope and to be that hope in our daily living. Dr. Biggs and Gail are traveling all around uh, Austria, Switzerland, and Germany. Last week they were in Germany uh, going through six of the concentration camps from World War II. Just imagine that. It's incredible. And I can say that they're having a much lighter uh, vacation right now in Switzerland and Austria. That first part, though, was was really something they said. Uh, Just walking through places where such a cruel and destructive force existed for many years, well, I mean, that could crush your spirit. You could ask questions that you couldn't answer. Unless you had a strong faith, unless you were grounded in a God that was alive inside of you, and that kind of faith allows you to hope and to find delight. Sometimes the circumstances of life are such that it's impossible to hope, almost. Sometimes the cruelty and the inhumanity of life is so deep and so awful that you don't know how in the world you can ever muster up even a simple prayer. And yet the Christian does not give up, even in times and circumstances like these. The whole world may be laid to waste in and, and, and cruelty and brutality, and yet the Christian affirms that this world is not the only world. That these circumstances are not the final circumstances and that what is taking place right now is not what will always take place forever. Harry Emerson Fosdick was a minister, teacher, and author who was pastor of the interdenominational Riverside Church in New York City from 1926 to 1946. And he told this story back in the 20s a newspaper reporter came to interview a woman, Mrs. Jacob Walker, in his town about her life. And when the interview began, the woman said, I was living at Sandy Hook when I met Jacob Walker. He kept the Sandy Lighthouse. He took me to that lighthouse as his bride, and I enjoyed it for it was on land, and I could keep a garden and raise vegetables and flowers. Well, after a few years, my husband was transferred to Robin's Reef. The day we came, I said, I won't stay. The sight of water, whichever way I look, makes me lonesome and blue. I refused to unpack my trunks and boxes at first, but I unpacked a little at a time, all of them, and I stayed on. My husband later caught a heavy cold while tending the light, and it turned to pneumonia. And it was necessary to take him to the Smith Infirmary on Staten Island, where he could have better care than I could give him in the lighthouse. I could not leave the light to be with him, and he understood. Well, one night, while I sat up there tending the light, I saw a boat coming, and something told me, what news it was bringing to me i expected the words that came up to me from the darkness we are sorry mrs walker but your husband is worse he is dead i said we buried him in the cemetery on the hill and every morning when the sun comes up i stand at the porthole and look out in the direction of his grave sometimes the hills are white with snow Sometimes they're a beautiful green. Sometimes they're just brown. But there always seems to come a message from that grave. It is what I heard Jacob say more often than anything else in his life. Just three words. Mind the light. And then Harry Emerson Fosdick concluded the story by saying, Mrs. Walker, still keeping the light, was 70 years old, when the reporter interviewed her, her husband had been dead for 32 years. To be a Christian is to mind the light that shines in the darkness. And not just when it's easy, not just when everything's going well for us and we have nothing to fear, but precisely at those times when the darkness is heavy and we stand all alone, and we wonder if what we're doing makes any sense at all. Always be ready to make your defense of the hope that is in you. Or to put that a little differently, keep the light on in your heart. Don't snuff it out with boredom or becoming an adult or seriousness. There's hope in the light Now, there's an African-American spiritual that we all know, This Little Light of Mine. And it turns out that there are several versions of that song. And the one that we're going to sing from is right out of our hymnal. So I want you to pull out your hymnals, please, and turn to page 585. Would you do that? 585. And take a look down in the bottom right corner of that page. You'll see the name Latimer. Latimer. There, you see that? Latimer. Well, William Farley Smith, who wrote the tune, named this tune after Lewis Latimer, an African American inventor whose parents were escaped slaves from Virginia, and who, along with Thomas Edison and others, developed the incandescent light bulb. I mean, how about that for minding the light, huh? So we're going to have some help today from this young man right here. This is Will Duncan, and Will is going to sing the very first part of each verse, and then we're going to join in. So, Will, it's all yours. Who share something very important that we can never let go of. And that is our common feeling inside that God loves us. So what do we have to fear? And the answer is nothing. We can walk confidently in life with the assurance that we are held in God's love. Friends, there's just no greater power than that. So what would it mean for you today to walk out of this sanctuary with no fear? Come on, think about it. What would it mean uh, if you didn't have to worry what Ruth is going to say about your outfit? Or, or, or that you don't have to fear about any, any friends that might not accept you because of a change that you've made in your life? I mean, isn't that their problem? So how about keeping the light on inside of your heart? That will show the world that you live with hope instead of fear. Keep delight on in this life. And, and this life will look better than it does right now. Here's our second verse. Everywhere I go. Headlines lately. As usual, a lot more bad news than good. Just listen to some of the recent headlines in the last few weeks. Concert dooms youth orchestra. This was a heartbreaking story about a group of Palestinian youth from a refugee camp, of all things, who performed for Holocaust survivors in Israel. Now, think of that. Palestinians, Israelis, they don't always like each other. And when the parents and the leaders heard about it, they shut the entire program down. Nursing home attack kills eight. Chrysler finally falls into bankruptcy. But searching hard and diligently, I found these headlines too. Perkins girl repeats in spelling bee. Three Holocaust victims with three consecutive numbered tattoos still alive in their 80s. That was quite a story. Goodwill to honor man's persistence. It's a great story about Gary Healy and his good work ethic that helped him hold his family together after the bottom fell out of his life. Well, you see, we people of faith, I think, have a responsibility to live with hope and to help others see the delight of the world around them. I don't mean to be Pollyannish, uh, not seeing the pain that's out there and suffering that's that's there as well, but just not focusing on that alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, then there's a whole lot of good out there. There really is. There's hope for the world every day, and no newspaper or television story will ever change that. So the third verse we're about to sing, we're changing the words a bit. Hope in my heart. Will, take it away. that young man a big hand. Will Duncan, everybody. Will Duncan. Great job, Will. Thank you. You too, Joel. <laughs> Back in 1959, anthropologist Lauren Isley, that happens to be my favorite anthropologist, one of my favorite authors, too, wrote that he objected to the evolutionist's proposition that we have survived as a race because we were strong. Eisley suggested otherwise. Humanity, he said, has not really survived by toughness in a major sense. Instead, we have survived through tenderness. We have survived because we have learned that we must care for each other rather than protect ourselves from each other. We have survived because we have learned to cooperate instead of compete. The human spirit has risen to its best when it has pondered the broad horizon and has been able to look past the tree and seen the forest that surrounded our ponderings. And then Isley finishes by saying, Today we know a great deal about human evolution, but as scientists we have failed I sometimes think, to convey successfully to the public the marvel of human transformation. We are at our best as Christians and as the human species when we are hopeful, when we are caring, when we are cooperative with one another. And sadly, we don't do that well around the world, but we've got to keep working on it. We have to mind the light, mind the light of Christ inside and let it shine through our hope for the world. Amen. Amen.